Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So as we close out the Easter season with the seventh Sunday of Easter, we, we celebrated Ascension Day uh, on Thursday. And uh, in the Gospel of Luke and then in Acts, they talk a little bit about the Ascension. And, you know, Jesus tells his disciples, you know, to go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. Jesus gives them this divine mission, but he says, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost, which is coming up very soon on the church calendar. But they get commissioned to bring the gospel to everyone, the good news of Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended for the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of our union with God. And as we live in the kingdom of God, as we live in the reign of Christ, because we've seen as we've been looking through these pictures in Revelation that Jesus is the lamb seated on the throne, ruling and reigning over all things. And we find ourselves in this interesting time period when the kingdom of God is here, it's present, but it's not yet fully realized. And when the kingdom of God clashes with the kingdoms of this world, sometimes things happen. Sometimes skirmishes happen. The kingdoms of this world don't want to give way to the kingdom of God that's already ruling and reigning now, even if it's not fully realized yet. And so when that happens, the forces from the kingdom of God, the spiritual forces of God's kingdom clash with the spiritual forces of the kingdoms of this world. And sometimes there are uh, there are incidents, right? And we're going to see this incident here. Well, we heard it read in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 to 19, where Paul and Silas are going to the, the place of prayer, and they're met by the slave, a slave girl, and she has a spirit of divination. And it says, it brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And she follows Paul and Silas as they're walking, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. And they are going to proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she does this over and over and over again. And Paul gets greatly annoyed. He turns and he casts the spirit out of her in the name of Jesus. And it leaves her. And then they get in trouble. <laughs> right? The two kingdoms clash. And they suffer the consequences. They get seized and thrown in prison. Now, when we look at this portion of scripture here in the book of Acts, Paul and Silas have gone to the city of Philippi, right? And they went to Philippi because Paul had a vision. Somebody appears to him in a vision and it said, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul goes to this area of Macedonia where Philippi is because he's been, he's been divinely commissioned to go there. And so when we start this story, the previous story that leads right into this one is St. Paul meeting with Lydia. Lydia was a businesswoman who sold purple cloth, and purple cloth was really expensive back then because it was really hard to make. So she was a, a, a woman of some means. She hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and she believes, and she asks Paul and Silas to stay at her home while it's there. And it must have felt good, right? You walk into a city, 
one of the first people you meet is, is a wealthy businesswoman, and you're preaching her the gospel. She believes, she converts, and she asks you to come stay and helps take care of you while you're there. They must have been feeling pretty good about themselves. Like, all right, this is great. We've been received. This is welcome. And they go about their business there in the city. But then they have an encounter that goes much differently with another woman there in the city. And we see this clash, and we see how it's, how it's um, received, right? His mission of bringing the gospel to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. So the woman they encounter, she is a slave, right? She's a slave. Now, the Romans in the ancient world had different types of slaves. Some did manual labor, some ran households and businesses, but they still did it for their owners. They did not have agency for themselves. And even the people of God, uh, the, the children of Israel, they also had slavery uh, as well. But in the law, right, the law said every seven years, all the slaves must be free. Because one thing you could do in the ancient world is if you owed money or debt you could not repay, you could agree to be someone's slave for a set amount of time as you worked the debt off. But not everybody had this, this release after, after seven years. So the point here is she is enslaved. But the slavery that she is under is not limited to her lack of personal freedom. Her slavery is also to a spirit of divination and fortune-telling, which mirrors her physical slavery. And her owners used her to make money for themselves. And this encounter with St. Paul ruins this. And she would follow yelling, right? These men are servants of the Most High God. And she does this day after day after day after day. Now, as modern readers, we might think this isn't so bad. Well, because Paul is a slave of Jesus Christ. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. This is actually true. But if you're in Philippi and you're hearing this, this, this woman say this, these men are servants of the Most High God, you would think that the people hearing this would think, oh, yeah, they're referring to, the, to, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, who's actually the God of the entire world, and, she's, and, and they're servants of Jesus Christ. No, they wouldn't have thought that at all, because in their context, when you were, he would hear the most high God, you would probably think, well, Zeus, right? Because he's the chief of the pantheon, right? And that would be cause for, some confu cause for confusion for anyone who's trying to listen to St. Paul's message concerning Jesus. And he doesn't cast the spirit out right away. There's a buildup to it in the story. Finally, he has enough, and he casts it out. Some translations say that he was grieved. Some translations say he was greatly annoyed. And from what I looked up, it appears that annoyance is probably what's kind of going on here. And the way I like to picture it is some of you have kids. Some of you have had kids. So you know what it's like when a kid, like, say, asks you for something, and then you say... No. But can I have that? I said no. But I really want it. I said no. But I've been really good today. No. And by doing this, you're not being good. But I'm going to cry and scream. No. Ah! No. Ah! Fine. Here, take it. Take the candy bar. <laughs> right? That's kind of how kids are. And that's unfortunately how some adults are too. And I kind of feel like that's the type of annoyance that's going on here with St. Paul. He puts up with it. He puts up with it. He puts up with it until he can't take it anymore. And he has to take action of some type. And I don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility to say he doesn't want people to think that they're working together, that they're servants of the same God. They're clearly not. But if she's following him around saying this, 
It sure looks that way. And this episode mirrors instances in the Gospels. It should make us think of stories in the Gospels. Sometimes when Jesus was praying for people, he would cast out spirits. It tells us in the story of the Gospels. Sometimes the spirits would say, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And what, is the, what do the Gospels say that Jesus would tell them to do? He would say, be quiet. Because he doesn't want evil, wicked spirits testifying of who he is and what his mission is. And so this is mirroring, right, the work that Jesus was doing in the Gospels. Now think of Jesus also, right? He's already accused in some portions of the Gospel of being able to cast out evil spirits through the power of the, the head of all of the evil spirits, right? So they're, they're already confused and making bad things up about Jesus. Imagine what they would have said about St. Paul. So this is why it's not good to let these spirits testify to who they are and who they serve. And so also what's worth looking at in this encounter is we see the encounter between two slaves. St. Paul is, in a sense, a slave of Jesus Christ. And if you've ever read his epistles, oftentimes he opens with that. Sometimes it gets translated as servant, but that word that's translated as servant is the same word as slave. And sometimes the translators are like, yeah, servant sounds better. But Paul says, he calls himself in his letters, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And his allegiance to Jesus Christ is the allegiance that has liberated him from the power of sin and from the power of death. And then the girl in this story, she is a slave of an evil spirit. And one thing that St. Paul notes in his letters is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has conquered those powers of evil, the wicked spiritual forces that lie behind human evil. And she is also enslaved to death and sin. He is enslaved to life itself. And when those two clash, who will win? Well, the answer is obvious. This encounter shows St. Paul living and spreading the victory of Jesus, the reign of God over the powers. And this story is a picture of the power the risen Christ is exercising through his church to bring victory to those who are in bondage. A few years ago, and then also when I was preparing for this, a person pre preached on this text and took some controversial conclusions from it, namely that St. Paul was threatened by this slave girl and her gifts. So he took it from her because he was blind to the fact that she shares in God's glory too, and he just can't deal with the competition, that he's dominating her. Yet other people note that Paul doesn't, in the story, lead her to Christ as he did to Lydia and say, they, some people say, he, well, he left her in the lurch. And I think both of these conclusions in the story are, are bizarre, and I think wrong. Sometimes we see what we want to see in the biblical stories, and we try to use them to justify our degrees of either wokeness or our refusal to be PC. This plays itself out both on the left and on the right. We all go into scripture looking for stuff and are trying to interpret it in a way that will support our point of view. And that often results in people becoming jerks. Something we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. But what these interpretations miss is that she was being used to make money for her owners. She was owned. She was in bondage. And St. Paul is extending the reign of God over her and bringing her into the light. So everyone witnesses this miracle and all become Christians immediately. Well, no. <laughs> the slave owners, they see that she can no longer make them any money. 
And they react like many people of means react when they lose money. They complain loudly about it and lawyer up. Why? Because they don't care about her or what she was subjected to. They just wanted the cash because the divination business back then was good. Just as it is, it's still good business today. You can drive down the street, you can see palm reading, you can see fortune telling. The divination business today is still good business. And then in the book of Acts, it says, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Then they throw them in prison. And then it says that they ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And then he puts them in the inner prison and fastens their feet in stocks. And all of this results from what they did. The owners of the slave girl lied about what Paul and Silas did, and they are falsely accused. And the people respond, and the magistrates act quickly by having them beaten because the Romans did not like people protesting, right? They did not like people getting up in arms about something. And if you were a governor of a certain area and you had protests often or people getting up and marching and, and, and causing violence, if you were a governor of a, of a certain area and it kept happening to you, the Roman government would kill you because you're not able to keep order in your territory, right? So the magistrates act quickly. They act quickly. They try to squash it, right? But the story doesn't end there. In the middle of the night, deep in the inner prison, they begin to sing songs to God, and God responds in a powerful way. The place is shaken by an earthquake, and all the prisoners are free. But something interesting happens. St. Paul keeps them all from running away because the jailer, it says, he's about to kill himself because all of the prisoners were, he thought were gone, and he would be responsible for that. But they don't go anywhere. So imagine that, right? God miraculously frees them from prison, breaks their bonds, and they don't, and they're like, no, we're going to stay here in prison <laughs> because they care, right? He, they care about the jailer just as he cared about the slave girl. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, it says, and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He and all his family. Sorry, if you have any Baptist friends, be like, hey, there it is. They baptized little ones. And they brought them into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Right? So St. Paul and Silas are brought into his home. Their wounds are treated. The jailer and his family are converted and baptized. So he had this interesting chain of events. Right? You have this initial welcoming into the city by Lydia, who becomes a believer. Then you have this encounter with this possessed slave girl, which causes them to be imprisoned and beaten. But even in prison which they don't escape, they stay and preach the gospel, the good news of the reign of God, to the jailer who receives it. And part of what I think we should note from this story is that it shows us we're not always going to be accepted by everyone. Some will hear what we have to say with joy and will want to know more, and some will have encounters with us that may lead to things becoming difficult for us. But even in the midst of those difficult situations, God is still moving. And there will be people there in prison with us who need the message of Christ just as much as everyone else, if not more. And brothers and sisters, as we follow Christ, right, like I talked about the clash of the kingdoms, we at times ourselves will experience that same clash between the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, and the sinful ways of the kingdoms of this world. And sometimes it may be necessary to stand against the kingdoms of this world. And when we do that, we may suffer for Christ. 
But their story shows us that even in prison, God is still with them. Now, we ourselves may not be placed in prison as a result of our faith because we live in a freeish society. But like many of the early Christians, we may become social pariahs. We may become social outcasts. Because when we bring the goodness of the kingdom of God, as we bring the love of God, the rule and reign of God, as that clashes against the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of this world will get riled up and they will resist. But even in the midst of their resistance against the coming of God's kingdom, we can be sure that God is with us even in the dark places. That as we sing, that as we worship, he will meet with us in the darkest pits of our own lives, in the darkest circumstances of our own lives. And many of us, we come to church, and sometimes we have things going on inside of us that we don't like to speak about, that we don't want to speak about, that we can't speak about. And when we're there in the pit of darkness of sometimes that we make for ourselves, God is there with us, and God will lead us through it. We don't like to hear that, though, that if we follow Christ, if we stand for Christ, we will endure hardship. It's easy to say. It's another thing to actually do. So I think we should take that from this story, that the kingdoms will clash. But even when it looks like the kingdom of God isn't there or isn't winning, Christ has already won. And the kingdoms, of, the kingdoms of this world, they might get riled up, they might get a little antsy, they might get a little ornery, but we can rest secure knowing that Christ is ruling and reigning over all things. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be our glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would take a few minutes and go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash We are fundraising in order to give our building some much-needed repairs, and anything you'd be able to donate to us would be greatly appreciated. You can also find us online, zionstoneucc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, zionstoneucc. Uh, if you could also go to iTunes and rate this five stars, that would help with our visibility. And you can also listen and share this podcast on Spotify as well. Once again, thanks for listening, and God bless you.